and welcome back to Millennial Ag, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valen Likely and Catherine Lotspeech. Listeners, thanks for joining us again this week. And I think before we dive in, we have some good news, at least from the Colorado aspect. Um, the proposition or the ballot initiative that we had talked previously about, um, they ended up voting against it and said it has more than um, one question for voters to vote on. So they shot that down, um, which was a huge, huge win for agriculture. And the fact that it's not going to hit the ballot um, is huge. So we wanted to give give a quick shout out to that um, following up on a previous episode and some information we'd shared. Um, but for this week, um, we'll let Miss Sarah introduce herself in a second. But we're we've, there's been a lot of news around sustainability and we've hit on it a bit and Sarah's been with us before, but there's more, more hype about it. And there's some more interesting technology coming out. And so she's going to help us break that down a little bit. Um, but before we do that too much, we'll let Sarah introduce herself. Miss Sarah Place or Dr. Sarah Place is with us this week. Um, and I'll let her introduce herself and thanks for being with us, Sarah. You bet. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so my name is Sarah Place. I'm the Chief Sustainability Officer with Alenco Animal Health. Uh, I've been with the company for about a year and a half, and prior to that was with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association based out in Colorado for about three years. And prior to that was on faculty at Oklahoma State University and uh, had a job where I uh, developed systems and measured methane emissions from cattle. So relevant experience to the conversation today, no doubt. For sure. Well, we're really glad that you're with us, Sarah, and uh, thank you for taking the time. So to start us off, um, a few weeks ago, Bloomberg came out with an article talking about how uh, the feed feed company Cargill is going to begin selling methane masks for dairy farmers to fit their cows with. Can you tell us first off um, what on earth these, what this wearable technology for cows is? Yeah, so I can't say I'm a huge expert on any of this, right? So this is a very uh, a new company, a startup company. And to be honest, I don't think there's any published peer-reviewed papers on their technology, right? But if you look at their website, essentially what they describe is it's like a catalytic converter for a cow, right? So if we were to take a step back, we think about methane emissions that come from cattle. They come most of the most of the methane comes out the front end of the animal, right? Roughly 95 plus percent of all the methane emissions from ruminants come out of their mouth. So the idea behind this technology, I believe, is just for the animal to wear it's like wear this essentially like a harness on their face. Um, and then supposedly the technology is able to take that rather dilute methane that's in the breath and the eruption vents, <laughs> aka belches, that the animal has and uh, convert it, I'm assuming, to carbon dioxide or some other gas that doesn't have a high global warming potential like methane. So again, there's a lot of questions about that, but I think it ultimately is just focused on that issue of trying to reduce um, methane emissions, which of course has been a tremendous amount of research on in the last decade or so. Does this, just out of curiosity and maybe there's not even research on this, but how does it affect the cow's breathing and their natural rumination and that sort of thing? Because to me, as a rancher and somebody that cares about animals, like I want to make sure my cow is safe if I'm going to even consider this. Yeah, yeah. So I think those are no doubt, those are a lot of questions that the cargo and that company are going to be working on, right? So 
Um, those are some of the questions that would come to mind, right? So if you have something that an animal is wearing that's truly on their face a while, right? You'd have to think about all those practical implications, right? If you're gonna have a harness on an animal all the time, you know, is it gonna be rubbing on the animal's head? Are you gonna get, you know, cause irritation? What if the animal, you know, takes a drink of water and submerges this catalytic converter device, right? What's gonna happen with it then? Uh, rubbing up against a stall, right? All the possible things that cattle do with their heads, right? Which are <laughs> maybe not anticipated uh, when people first develop these type of technologies, right? So I think there's a tremendous number of uh, practical questions, efficacy questions, and of course, cost questions that would come into play for any technology like this. Um, my understanding, they're pursuing more of the dairy angle at first, which to be fair, would probably make a little bit more sense than beef, obviously, of having wearable technologies, just because obviously on the dairy side, there are already collars and pedometers and other things that cattle wear, right, for other reasons. Um, but having it on the animal's head and right over their nose, at least if the imagery is to be uh, taken from, from the website uh, uh, as how this would fit on the animal, there would be all those outstanding questions for sure. Yeah. Is the science on this kind of tech justifiable or is it too soon to say? Yeah, so I'd say, again, on this specific one, we don't have a lot of information, right? I think the idea or the concept of can you, can you break down methane to less potent greenhouse gases is something you would probably find more literature on, on like the oil and gas side, quite frankly, right? And trying to um, take care of leaks and other things like that. So I would assume that's the type of technology they're tapping into. But I would say, you know, that's kind of a, this is a vanguard type technology, right? A lot of the other work about trying to reduce methane emissions is really not, not getting to the nostril level, let's say, right? But rather saying, okay, within the digestive tract of the animal, how we feed animals, feed additives we can use, the genetics of the animals, can we affect methane emissions that originate within the rumen, if that makes sense, which is where the bulk of the research has taken place is just saying, we essentially decrease the total amount of methane that gets produced from the animal, right? And, uh, and take care of the issue, if you will, from that perspective. Well, I guess like what, like you've done the, re you've helped do some of the research and it's ever evolving on, on those feed additives and stuff. And, and the goal, I guess, for least dairy is to get to net zero by 2050. And I think there's even some you know, companies that are trying to expedite that um, in, in the in the chain. And a lot of that does come with, you know, the lagoons and those kinds of systems, but some of it comes from the cow. How much of, of the total greenhouse gas on say a dairy facility actually comes from the cow and how do we reach net zero or how do we get to net zero if there's gonna be continual emissions say from the cow? Yep, excellent question. So. If we were to take this and look at like both beef and dairy, right? Um, there's essentially four main buckets of greenhouse gas emissions that come from cattle production. So there's of course emissions that are essentially associated with the production of feed. Um, there's emissions from fuel use, right? Tractors on farm, electricity use. There's manure emissions as you alluded to, right? Whether it's lagoons or anything else. And then the fourth bucket is enteric emissions, right? So meaning from the gut of the animal. So if we were to look at beef and dairy, it varies depending, especially on the dairy side, like how the manure is actually managed, 
right? Hopefully that makes sense. Like the percent contribution of enteric is going to vary depending on how big those other three buckets are, right? But ultimately it's somewhere going to be between like 40 and 60% of the, what we call cradle to farm gate carbon footprint of beef and dairy is going to be coming from enteric methane. So it's actually a little bit more important on the beef side, just because there tends to be less uh, greenhouse gas emissions produced from the manure, the way manure is managed on the beef side, whether it's not managed at all, because it's just deposited out in the landscape or in dry lot, feed lot situations, it just doesn't produce a lot of gas, right? So again, 40 to 60%. So it's, it is a big chunk of the total emissions from, from the carbon footprint to the farm gate, right? For the, before we go on to the rest of the supply chain all the way back to the consumer, right? Um, so anything we can do to reduce it is good. The reality though is of course, nobody's claiming to achieve zero with methane emissions, right? With enteric methane, essentially it's a natural part of the process, right? And that's, that's what's really key is what cattle are is ruminant animals and they're essentially a big fermentation bath that's walking around, right? And so byproducts of that fermentation process are gonna happen most of the gas is CO2, some of it is methane. So we're just trying to, in most cases, uh, redirect that fermentation process to produce less methane, right? But we're, nobody's claiming to reduce it to zero. You know how much, or can, can how much emissions can be, can actually be captured from tech like this? Um, is it, or it's not really captured, it's converted. Yeah, yeah. So again, the wearable tech, that just has so many question marks, right? I don't think anybody has a good answer, right? It's, it's gonna be up to that company and what they can come up with in terms of that technology. And like I mentioned, I think the challenge when I think about that is just actually the amount of methane that's being released from the animal, it's not insignificant. So say like a dairy cow, she may emit like essentially a pound of methane a day right, is how much gas she emits, methane gas. But that's in the context that she emits a whole bunch of CO2 and she's breathing out, you know, water just like we are, right? So it's a dilute amount of gas that you're trying to, trying to capture from that perspective. So if we, we back up into the rumen, right, like the other way to try to think about it is methane itself is essentially a loss of the feed energy. Right. So from a practical standpoint, that's how a lot of people have tried to think about it and do more research on. It's just hopefully if we can reduce methane emissions, you can improve feed conversion efficiency. That always hasn't always worked out that way. Um, but some of the things that are done in the cattle industry now, like, for example, in the beef side, like finishing cattle on grain, that improves their feed conversion efficiency. And we know in part that's due to they lose less energy as methane. Right. Essentially, fewer of their feed calories get blown off to the atmosphere as, as methane. More of it gets retained within themselves. So that's ultimately the goal. Can you, can you improve feed efficiency right, and reduce methane emissions? Sometimes that's not going to work out, right? And that's, that's some of the challenge of what are the ways that we can try to, um, try to have those win-wins. And if there aren't win-wins, you know, that's where things like carbon credits or other ways to actually incentivize those things would come into play. It's so like to actually dive into all the science is so fascinating to me because people, I think people miss the point. There's these political 
or and maybe it's my biases coming out too but you know i feel like sustainability greenhouse gas all these you know words coming say from agriculture is is overwhelming and we're like well well ag is bad or we need to do this and and once you start diving into it we're you know all all methane emitters at some level whether we drive cars whether we you know do do all this stuff um but do you think there's been a it seems like just in the last few months there's been a little more of a hype around this and maybe it's just me being more aware but have you seen that and where do you think it's stemming from yeah yeah so um i think there has been more interest in climate change and how agriculture interfaces with it for sure right so as, as I've been in this field for over a decade now, um, I think the conversation has just accelerated. And I think we're seeing a lot more companies playing in the space of trying to come up with solutions. Part of it is probably the reality of, you know, we have a new administration in the United States that's, that's really uh, highlighted that they care about this issue a lot, right? Um, but also we have a lot of companies that have made commitments to reduce emissions. And as you mentioned, right, like the dairy industry has said they wanna be net zero by 2050. Right? So part of it is driven by the business community making these type of um, commitments publicly, right? And so now we have this kind of gap of one, like where are we actually at in some cases, getting a better handle on that. And then what can we actually do to reduce those emissions? Um, and good, good context there. I mean, even in the U.S. across the board, like just methane emissions from cattle is somewhere around 2% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions, right? So it's not nothing, but it's also not, definitely not the largest source of greenhouse gas in the United States. What is, what is the largest source of greenhouse gas or who or what? Yeah, so if we looked at the, the U.S. EPA data, right, and the total greenhouse gas emissions in the United States, um, the vast majority comes from burning fossil fuels, right? So roughly 75 to 80% of total US greenhouse gas emissions are actually carbon dioxide from combusting fossil fuels, right? So everything from electricity, right? So we can have this conversation cross country instantaneously and, and run the internet, right? Um, to obviously vehicles, um, you know, heating and cooling of buildings, all those type of things, right? All the, all the energy that runs modern life that we like uh, emits a lot of energy. And then agriculture in total emits around 10% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. And so that's not just methane, that is also any CO2 from energy use in ag. Um, but then another big category is actually nitrous oxide, which is another greenhouse gas. Um, a lot of that comes from soil, actually, from soil microbes. Um, and you know, coming from whether when we apply manure to soil or synthetic nitrogen fertilizer that drives that process. So the main thing is the real, the big culprit burning fossil fuels on ag, what makes ag emissions tough to capture and to mitigate is the culprits aren't really necessarily the crops or the cattle or anything else. It's all the little microbes, right? It's the microbes that live in the guts of cattle. It's the microbes in the manure, it's the microbes in the soil. So that's, that's actually the culprit of those greenhouse gases and agriculture mostly are microbial actions. Those darn bugs, <laughs> but it's an essential part of the process of breaking down whatever it is, whether it's, you know, for, for energy in the cow or breaking down our soil to allow those nutrients for crop growth. It's very important. So it's, it's balancing everything 
in moderation and, and being aware of some of the releases, but also being like, there's always, there's always an omission. It doesn't matter what we do or we have an impact on the world just walking on a day to day. And so it's what level is acceptable, I guess. That's a very good uh, comment and observation, right? And that's one thing that can, can make one a little nervous about a lot of the conversation around net zero is just the reality that it is true you cannot make any chemical reaction 100% efficient all the time, right? Like that is just the reality of, of life, right? And essentially <laughs> these microbes, right? Uh, whether it's nitrous oxide, right? That's an inefficiency of, of the process of taking nitrate all the way to nitrogen gas, right? It just, it happens. We can do things, you know, whether it's making sure we're applying the right amount of nitrogen, doing things like using, uh, you know, nitrification inhibitors and stuff like that, right? All the technology that's used, it can help, but you will not be able to eliminate these, some of these emissions, right? It's trying to get, trying to get these, uh, think about like nutrient loops as, as tight as they can possibly be, but you're always going to have some leakage and that leakage is pollution, right? So that's, that's just some of the reality. So considering that reality, is it, realistic for an industry to think that they can get to net zero by a certain point in time? So what, what this is where we, how do we define net zero, right? Which is, <laughs> which can be tricky. Um, so if we think about it, the way some of these statistics that I just gave you guys about uh, greenhouse gas emission breakdown, that's all on a basis of carbon dioxide equivalents, right? So we take all greenhouse gases and we put them on a CO2 equivalent basis. So a carbon dioxide equivalent basis Essentially, in that scheme, uh, you know, one pound of methane equals 28 pounds of carbon dioxide in terms of its warming potential. Okay. For nitrous oxide, one pound of nitrous oxide equals 265 pounds of carbon dioxide, right? So hopefully that makes sense. Both methane and nitrous oxide are more potent greenhouse gases than CO2. So if we're going to be net zero carbon dioxide equivalent emissions, it's essentially like a balance sheet, right? Where we have to reduce emissions enough. And then this is where a lot of hope is, is that you can increase soil carbon storage enough, like on your other side of your balance sheet to take to take out the, the remaining emissions, if that makes sense, right? Okay. So you got two, two levers you can pull. You can reduce emissions, you can increase soil carbon stocks. So I will admit, I'm skeptical <laughs> that uh, especially ruminant agriculture, using that balance sheet can get to net zero carbon dioxide equivalent emissions. Just because, as we just said, right? Like ruminants, ruminants are going to ruminate. Ruminate. <laughs> they're going to they're going to belch methane, right? Even with uh, some of the technologies that we have, we can reduce it, but it's going to be very hard to get it to zero, right? So, and I would love to be proven wrong on that, but that is the math on that's very hard. Um, so that's, that is a challenge. I think it can change, and this gets complicated, right, of if you get into net zero climate impacts and saying, we don't want this industry, aka agriculture, to contribute to any additional warming of the climate, which is ultimately what we care about. Um, and that becomes important because there is research that would say, that balance sheet that I outlined, we got to reduce carbon dioxide equivalents, we got to increase soil carbon storage. There's research that would say that reduce emissions, that doesn't actually have to get to zero, right? You just have to reduce methane emissions enough, 
compared to historical times, not necessarily have methane get to zero. Which again, it gets complicated, but that's actually different than fossil fuel emissions, fossil fuel carbon, like that's actually pretty clear. That has to get to zero to have no additional warming. Like there's just no way around it. But with methane, it has to decline and it doesn't have to be zero. Um, so in that framework, net zero climate impact becomes a lot more realistic for agriculture. So I think that's one of those things. We'll see that conversation. You'll definitely see that change over the coming years. Um, but back to all this stuff, that actually just makes methane reductions more important because they're still important, right? Whatever the situation is, however we account for this, reducing methane is going to be important. So it sounds like it's, it's obviously a development of technology of reduction, but it's also an advancement and a willingness to redefine some of our definitions and have these conversations on what's actually realistic and what what are our ultimate goals? Do we like, do we still want cheap, efficient beef and dairy? Or are we willing to maybe compromise that to get to less emissions? And I, I guess, what's your take on these definitions? Because to me, I hear sustainability, I hear regenerative, I hear net zero thrown around every day in my job. And sometimes I'm like, I don't even know what these mean anymore, because they end up cliche, or somebody's using it to market. But I don't know if the true definition is behind it. Right. No, I think that's a very good observation too, right? So as, as this conversation is ramped up and those terms get thrown around, um, the challenge in this space is one word can mean two different things to two different people, right? Or people can be talking about the same thing, but they're using different terms. And that's, that's what makes this, this whole space really complicated. I think the most important thing for us is to focus on those outcomes. And I think what you just highlighted, right? Ultimately, for agriculturalists, for the people that are primary producers in the United States, I don't think it's a stretch to say the market signal to them for decades has been, please produce volume, produce it efficiently, produce it right with consistency, with quality, and deliver that, and we will reward you for that, right? And so you're absolutely right. Now there's all these other conversations, and it's like, okay, I have no doubt that agriculturalists can deliver those other outcomes that people want, but there has to be a market for them, right? And I think this is this interesting place that we're in right now of, especially on the commercial side of business and all these public commitments that have been made, there's a lot of public commitments. There's some investment, which is encouraging, right? Some of these partnerships and other um, investments companies have made. But I would say there's not that really strong market signal back to just a commodity producer to be like, okay, I'm gonna change what I'm doing because essentially I'm getting the market signal to do that, right? And that's, that's where, realistically, those type of things are going to have to happen, right, if there's going to be a big shift from the status quo. And I don't think it's controversial to say that. It's just reality, right? Like, that's, people have to make money. They have to, they have to stay in business. And so the business realities will, will dictate a lot of this. So we're getting a lot of um, commitments and talk from businesses wanting to get dairy for example to net zero by 2050 but market signals um you know a really important one is to come from the consumer so um it sounds like you're saying right now that we aren't getting that market signal from consumers do you think that that will come as they are told that this is what they should be should be wanting or yeah 
So I think it's it's something that's interesting to watch, right? So we definitely have examples, of course, of uh, different specialized markets, whether it's you know organic or other things where there's clearly a defined program or a process that does command a higher charge, right? And so there is hopefully that market signal back all the way down, right? To justify a change, right? What, and this is probably, this is more, okay, Sarah Place, my personal bias coming out, right? It's like, I don't want this whole issue to turn into essentially just another added cost onto the primary producer, right? Where they're just expected to deliver carbon reductions or carbon footprint information, and they're not compensated for it, right? So if anything, what I'm telling you right now is probably shaped by that personal view that I think what should happen is that kind of supply chain coordination or that signal, or, you know, the other alternative is this whole idea of carbon credits, right? There's compensation from outside of the supply chain to carbon reductions, right? So essentially an airline, you know, uh, buys carbon credits or those type of things, right? That's, that's kind of what has happened, but that's still a voluntary market as well. I think more ideally, especially since we've had all these commitments, it should come from within the supply chain uh, just because if, uh, if a farm sells their carbon credits to an airline, they technically don't reside within the supply chain anymore, if that makes sense, right? They sold them outside. So um, I think it's going to have to get to that point of whether it's a consumer paying or other ways to monetize, especially if there's capital investments, right? If it's a win-win situ- situation, like if a cattle producer can change their diet, they actually you know increase their milk production efficiency or something, okay. But if it's like, you got to pay for some sort of big capital investment. I think that's unfair probably to expect a commodity producer to take that burden on that added cost and then not get any uh, compensation from it. Well, and I think that article, I went back to just glance through it before we recorded and refresh, you know, they were, they were just throwing ballpark numbers, but that it could cost $80 a cow a year, which maybe in the grand scheme of things, isn't that big of a deal, but that's still a cost to the dairyman. And you start talking about a thousand, 2000, 10,000 cows, and that, that adds up and that's another, you know, cost. And so, yeah, somebody, somebody's going to have to pay for that. And is the consumer willing to, is this going to work? And I think all these market, you have the science, but we've also got to consider the market and the true benefit, or is this just another cliche that we're putting on something? And I, and I don't know what the answer, and I'm not willy nilly throwing that out there, but I think it's, it's a gut check sometimes to, to everybody in the supply chain, the producer, the processor and the consumer too. And that's, again, my own personal <laughs> biases are trying to look, look at things and say, Hey, is this really working? Or is this just another band-aid solution to make somebody feel good? Yeah. So I think, in a, and again, I think um, the, the investments um, across the board, right. From different companies says maybe that's starting to change. Right. So I think uh, what's interesting is of course, those costs, like an $80 per cow, hundred bucks per cow plus, right? Some of those things start to get a little bit pricey if you're the producer, but if you're a large processor or somebody else and you can spread it out over millions of gallons of milk or whatever the case may be, that cost becomes a lot lower. And I think that's where hopefully, right? That's where those, those things of, hey, we have a commitment and those companies see a value in, like we do wanna reduce our emissions if we make this investment in our suppliers, AKA the farmers, 
and they can adopt this technology, whatever it may be, a new feed additive or something that maybe doesn't quote unquote pay for itself, these type of wearable technologies, then those things can become a little bit more realistic. But I would agree with you if it's if it's just something that is, hey, wouldn't it be cool if he did this or becomes a mandated thing, a cost without any sort of return, that's that's violating economic sustainability, right, for the producer and, uh, and isn't probably a long-term solution. And economic sustainability absolutely has to be taken into account and often often isn't. So thank you for thank yeah. you for making that clear. <laughs> exactly. Well, Sarah, we um, we thank you for coming on today and in the interest of your time and everybody else's time, um, we really appreciate you coming on. Do you have any last parting thoughts or advice for our listeners um, going forward on, on this topic or any other topics um, that you're kind of working in or super passionate about? Yeah, so I would just say, I mean, to kind of wrap all this up, right? I think it is it is an exciting time in agriculture, right? To, to think about you know, the potential for new markets, all these different innovations. I would say technically a lot of, things are possible. And even if it isn't net zero carbon dioxide equivalent emissions, and it is net zero climate impact, I think we can get there, right? And so I think um, what's positive is that there are these type of investments happening, right, across the board, and farmers that are progressive that are looking at how they can cut their emissions in a whole variety of ways, right? Um, so it is a positive thing in, in, in the grand scheme of things. And especially because I think we see a lot of conversation about how agriculture, animal agriculture can be a part of the solution. I firmly believe that's that's the case, right? So we, we can make a difference here and it's just finding the right solutions and making sure first and foremost, they're practical, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that hopefully they're cost effective. And if they're not, that there is the price signal to make them cost effective, right? And then a lot of change can, can happen. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for coming. Where can um, listeners find you or find more information um, on, on sustainability and in agriculture. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> at least uh, for me personally, I am on Twitter at, at Dr. Place, so at DRS Place uh, on Twitter, and that's that's the main social media that I'm on. Um, in terms of that information, lots of great resources out there. One would be on this particular issue of climate, I would definitely say check out uh, UC Davis and their website, the Clear, the Clear Center, um, which is a good one on some of those basic facts of where does all this gas come from? What are the relative amounts, et cetera? Um, that's a great resource for everybody that's listening. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. Well, listeners, thank you again for joining in to this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can email us at talktous at millennialag.com. And until next week, we are Millennial Ag. Mm -hmm.